Amen. Um, so I have the privilege today to uh, kind of bookend the Citizen series we've been in for quite a while. I think it was June. I don't think it was May, but it could have been. And I was blessed to get to preach the first one. So it's kind of cool to be able to do first and last. And uh, this morning we're going to be talking about being citizens with a renewed purpose. Um, you know, something you think about being a citizen is what does that mean and what is the purpose of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and how would that purpose look different maybe than being a citizen of the U.S. or being a citizen of your household? What does that look like? We're going to talk about that today, but before we get to the message, we're going to do a little uh, slideshow trivia, okay? It's okay to talk in church. I do need your responses. Otherwise, we're going to stand, I'm going to stand here and look ridiculous asking a question that you're not answering. So these first questions aren't rhetorical. And I know I'm very notorious for asking rhetorical questions. But these ones aren't, okay? So will you cue the first slide? What is this? A hammer. And what is the purpose of a hammer? Okay, to hit a nail in, to hammer something in, right? I mean, part of the purpose of a hammer is in the name, right? Okay, next slide. You guys did good. What is this? A pen or a pin, some people call it, I don't understand that, but that's, you know, that's weird. But a pen, and the purpose of a pen is to write with good. You guys are getting this. Uh, what's the next slide? What is this? Now, I know when I was getting this, I was like, this doesn't just have one purpose, but what's our most important purpose for water? To drink so we can live, right? And we also like to swim. That's probably where half everybody is today, right? Um, next slide. What's this? The sun is required for life, right? Because it gives us what? Heat. What else? Light. Okay, yeah. So these are really big, important things, but we know what their purpose is. Let's go to the next slide. What is this? And what is the purpose of a baby? To make more. Okay, what else? To look cute, right? to throw up on you, to cry all night, to have to have their diapers changed, right? No. What is the purpose of a baby? What is the purpose of humanity? That's what we're going to be talking about today. See, like we can look at all those other things and clearly define what their purpose is, but if we're honest, we all struggle sometimes to answer that question for ourselves. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I meant to do? These are all questions that take a lot of our time up. Whether we're actually thinking about it or we're just going through life trying this, that, and the other thing because we're looking for purpose. So this morning I want to think about this, but I want to start with us thinking about it the way David thinks about it because it's important that we look at somebody who is a man after God's own heart, because he's not asking this question like a philosopher would, right? I mean, what is my purpose? That's kind of the whole point of philosophy. So there's a whole social science, right, dedicated to this question. But David himself asked this question in a different way. So let's look in Psalm 8.4. David says this, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. What is mankind that you're mindful? Why is mankind on your mind? Why do you think about us? Why are we important to you? Not why are we important, but why are we important to you, God? 
right? And why do you care about us? I mean, you could make more of us. You can make a better version of us, one that doesn't sin, one that doesn't deny your name, one that doesn't dishonor you. Why do you care about us? Why are we important? What about us? What about us? And I love this because David's not asking, why am I important? Why am I important to you? And I think that's the first step in understanding purpose. Because if we're trying to understand purpose outside of the purposer, right, or the creator, we cannot find our purpose, right? And have have you ever been guilty of that? I have, right? Trying to find purpose outside of the purposer or the creator. But it's hard because only the creator actually knows why he created you. And so a lot of people live their entire life in turmoil. You know, I do counseling, and a lot of times in counseling, I get people coming in, they're talking about how they're not happy. And as we talk more and more, and the more and more I see this, the more I think that they're not really wanting happiness, what they're wanting is peace. They're not really wanting happiness, what they want, what they want is contentment. Because when you think about what they're complaining about, it's not just being sad, it's more the anxiety and the nervous tension and the pressure of constantly never being where they want to be, right? And the opposite of anxiety or nervousness is peace. But if we don't know what our purpose is and we're not fulfilling that purpose, we will never have peace. It's impossible to have peace without fulfilling your purpose. And we can't know what our purpose is unless we're going to the creator. So he goes on, David, in verses 5 through 8 to say this, you have made them little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, all the flocks and the herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. He's made us rulers. David's pondering humanity's role in God's creation, and he asks the natural question, what makes us so important to you? And we know David's not making this up, right? I mean, if we go back to Genesis 1, 27 through 29, it says this, so God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. So David's not making this up when he says, you've made us rulers. You've given us dominion. You've given us stewardship. So when he's talking about this, it's not like some hypothetical situation. It's a fact. God said it, and it was so, right? And so when David's thinking about what's my purpose, why are you mindful of me? He's thinking in the context of creation. Why in God's created order do I have this role? What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of my being created? And when we look at this, we look at something that's really important. So God created mankind in his own image. Ah, there's a key, right? God could have chose to create everything else or anything else in his image, but he chose humanity. And so when God looks down on us, we're to be a reflection of him. 
right? That's a big deal because God, as much as he loves you, loves himself too, right? And in fact, he loves himself more. That's why he loves you. When you look at your children or your grandchildren, you think it's easy to love you because you're part of me, right? It's not a question. You know, I deal with this again. This is another thing I deal with, whether it's in counseling or just talking to couples. Like it's, it's a lot easier to love your kids than it is your spouse because you chose your spouse. You had your children. Now it's a little different if you're adopted, right? But for your biological children, when you look at them, they have your image or the image of your favorite uncle or your favorite aunt or your grandparents. Like it's easy when you look at them and they make those facial gestures. So when you're looking at them, but they also frustrate you when they don't reflect you, right? When they don't share your values, when they don't represent your name well, because you have an expectation of what it means to be you. God is no different. God is no different. See, David knew and believed that God was the creator. So when he asked God, what is it about humanity that caused you to give us this? God is saying, you were created in my image. You were to be my representation on earth. So then the natural next question is, why did you make representation in the first place? Couldn't you have just been your own representation, right? And so we read in Isaiah 43, 7, And if you forget everything else today, don't forget this. This is important. It's underlined for you. He says this, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. God created us for his glory. That's a big deal. Like you were created for the express purpose of glorifying God. Period. Period. It doesn't go on to say anything else. The only reason God created mankind, humanity, male and female both, was to bring him glory. And as much as God loves us, he loves his glory more. Because his glory is part of who he is. And God is love, so part of who he is is love. And he loves us, but he loves his glory. And until we understand that our purpose is glorifying God, we will never be at peace. Let that sink in for a minute. And if you don't know what glory means, it's kind of a Bible word, and we kind of know in context, but just like a dictionary definition would be to bestow honor, praise, or admiration on. Now, this is cool, right? This is easy to grasp, right, to bestow honor, praise, or admiration, until you recognize that you don't get to determine on what terms you do that with God, right? Because a lot of times we think we're praising and bestowing honor on God, but it's not the way God asks us to do it. So John Calvin was asked this question, well, how do I glorify God? And he says this, God has prescribed a way for us in which he will be glorified by us, namely piety, which consists in the obedience of his word. He that exceeds these bounds does not go about to honor God, but rather to dishonor him. Obedience to God's word means taking refuge in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Taking refuge in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We agree with that, right? Even though we don't always agree with Calvin, we agree with that. That's why we just took communion, right? We're taking refuge in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Serving him with a loving heart. I'm pretty sure there's a t-shirt right here that says something about that, right? This idea of loving people, loving Jesus, and we even love service here. Serving Jesus with a loving heart. Not just because it's our duty or because we're afraid of being struck down or we're afraid we're not going to measure up to God's standard and so we're going to be kept out of eternal life, but because 
of a loving heart, the heart that he's pierced, knowing him through his scriptures, right? One of the primary ways we can get to know God is through his word. In fact, outside of looking at creation and the body of Christ, it's really hard to know God and looking into scripture to know him better, doing good works in gratitude for his goodness. What compels you to do good works? Is it gratitude? Is it the fact that every day when we wake up, we recognize that it was a gift and we, we recognize that we've been forgiven in Christ, past, present, and future? And so out of gratitude, out of the goodness of his heart, the goodness that he expressed through loving kindness in Christ, are we doing the good works we're doing? This last one's the hardest one, probably. Exercising self-denial to the point of loving our enemies. In our culture, this is really hard. Because when we think about our enemies, we think about vengeance. We think about justice. We think about retribution. But Jesus thinks about love. He's on the cross, hanging there, getting ready to die. And he says, forgive them. They don't really understand. They don't know what they're doing. Self-denial, because in the flesh, what does he want to do? He wants to call down a legion of angels and wreck them, you know, real easily. It wouldn't have been hard, but he doesn't. And it's interesting because... I'm going to talk about Jesus' story in a minute in John 17, but before that, I'm going to talk about a guy named David Ruffin. How many of you guys know who David Ruffin is? Nobody. How many of you know who the temptations are, though, right? Right? So my girl, right? The temptations. Really good singers. So there's two guys in the temptations that could actually sing. The rest of them were just kind of backup singers, right? And that was David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. Eddie Kendricks is a really high pitch. David Ruffin was that kind of soulful, gravelly, smooth voice. Well, there was a point in the temptation story where David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks got fed up with the temptations. And David Ruffin says this. He says, I'm David Ruffin. I am the temptations. And he leaves. He leaves. Now, was David Ruffin the temptations or was the temptations the temptations? None of you guys knew who David Ruffin was, right? But everybody knew who the temptations was. But it's kind of a sad story because they end up getting back together later on, and uh, Dave Ruffin had developed a, an addiction to crack cocaine, and um, he got clean, and he wanted to get back with the group, because that self-glorification, that pride that says, I'm David Ruffin, I am the temptations, you can't do this without me, led to this humble story where he comes back. But you know what happened when, when, when he got back on stage, right? And everybody's cheering for the temptations, and he remembered what it was to be David Ruffin. Guess what happened? He fell again, right? And his story ends where he's in a crack house and he's uh, giving away free tickets to a temptation show. That was the day before. He doesn't even know what day of the week it is. And he gives his Cadillac up for drugs and he ends up ODing and they drive by through an emergency uh, room like turnabout, throw him out of the car and drive off and he dies. That's David Ruffin. David Ruffin thought he was the Temptations, but he wasn't. He was a great singer, a gifted singer, a big part of the group, but he wasn't the group. And sometimes I'm afraid we, we fall in that same trap. We may be gifted, we may be talented, we may be successful, but none of it is outside of God's allowance. God is the only one that allows that to happen. Right? God created us for a purpose. When David Ruffin forgot the purpose of being in the Temptations, he lost sight 
of what was really important and ultimately cost him his life. And for a lot of us today, that could be the case. You know, today was kind of interesting because first service, we had the bluegrass guys come in. They did awesome. That mandolin was amazing. But, you know, they sang, what would you give up in place of your soul? You know, the churchy answer is what? I'd give anything up to maintain my soul, God. But truth is we give up our soul every day. And then we see the other side of that, uh, a new brother and sister in Christ, where they're, they're making that initial commitment, right, to surrender everything so they can gain eternity. And there's this balance of our life, the rest of our life, we're trying to work and walk within that. But I think that if we don't keep this scripture in front of us, that we're created for God's glory, we will lose sight of where we're directed, right? So I want to look at Jesus now. We, we heard about David Ruffin and how when self-glorification leads to death. When we become God, it leads to death. But now let's look at Jesus, who is God, by the way, right? Jesus is God, God the Son, who emptied himself and became nothing, became like us, and set the example for what we ought to do. John 17, 1 through 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Jesus is about to be arrested. Judas is on his way. That fatal kiss is on its way, right? And before that, he's praying. Father... The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus is about to be arrested, and he's praying, and he's praying all about glory. Father, let me glorify you, and I can't wait to take my glory back. All right, I set it aside, I put it down, but I'm going to get it back. The way I'm getting it back is to what? Finish the work you gave me to do. See, Jesus understood something that we forget. Jesus was there when we were created. You know that? Jesus was there. Jesus has been there. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and he was the word in the beginning, right? Jesus has been around since day one. And Jesus was there, and he knows that they created us, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, in their image for the purpose of glory. So Jesus, when he becomes human, when he, when in his incarnation, is all about glorifying his Father in heaven because he knows what it means to be human, Because he created us. And so his purpose and his mission is being fulfilled in glorifying the Father. And that's awesome. And so when we think about Jesus' model, he says something really important here that we can often miss. He says, this is eternal life that you know the one true God in Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? I'm going to look at it in the Bible's way of knowing. Because that's an important way to know. In the Bible, it says this in Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom, a house is built. Through understanding is established, and through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So by wisdom, a house is built. So I'm going to give an example of how this verse kind of breaks down in real life. Wisdom says this, God provides. I should trust God with my provision, right? Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. That's wise. That's a wise statement, right? God provides, I should trust him with my provision. I kind of understand this because God is the creator, right? He's the sustainer of life, so it makes sense logically that he would be the provider. And I've, in fact, seen him provide in other people's lives, 
right? I've heard stories, whether it was in the Bible or people I've met. But, you know, there's been a lot of times in my life when, when through my relationship with God, I began to know that he provides. So let me give a, a quick example. In October of 2015, I was behind on a, a lot of payments. It was one of those years where you're paying like one bill three months behind and then you skip to pay the next one. So you're on this rotation to where you're paying just enough behind to where you're not losing anything, but you're right on the cusp, right? And I was reading through Philippians. And in Philippians 4, it was, it was tugging on my heart, this idea of cast your anxieties, right? It says, cast your anxieties, throw out your anxieties on God. And so I'm praying one day and, I, and I'm praying like, God, I know that you're the provider. I know that I shouldn't be worried about this, but there's all these people that are counting on me, right? There's all these people that are counting on me to eat, to have somewhere to sleep. And so I'm feeling this pressure and there's nothing I can do. I'm already working 80 hours a week. I don't know what else I can do. I just have to let go because it's tearing me apart. And I said, let me be content with whatever your provision is. And I'm thinking, I'm, you know, in your head when you're like doing calculation, I'm thinking if I just had like $5,000, you know, I think I'd get caught up. Not ahead, but caught up. And so I, I pray this and I forget about it. And by God's grace, I'm, I'm walking in that daily because if I think about it, it, it's overwhelming. Like I can't think about it. It's just not something that I have the ability to, to deal with and to wrestle with because there is nothing. It's a hopeless cycle if I'm thinking about it. So, so I'm trying to practice obedience to God's word, cast your anxieties on him. And when you cast something, you let it go. And so about three weeks later, I get in a bind and I need like a hundred bucks until the next day's payday. So I call up a friend. Hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks? Sure. Come on over. So I go over there and we're, we're talking and I'm with my family and their family. They just bought a new house and we're looking around the house. And at some point he slips me a check and I put it in my wallet and we finish up our meeting or whatever. We go home and how many of you guys use that awesome mobile banking, right? Where you can deposit on your phone. That's a godsend in and of itself. So I'm at home. And I'm taking the check out to endorse it so I can take that little picture and, and deposit it in my account. So the whole purpose of me going to visit was to put this in before the next day so I don't get one of those beautiful $35 overdrafts for like a $5 debit. You guys ever had that happen? That's an expensive interest rate. Um, so I'm walking up my stairs and I open up this check and it's for $5,000. $5,000. $5, I kind of slid down a couple of the steps, right? And I'm, you know, you, you're kind of like, what is going on? It's one of those surreal moments, and you're kind of excited, freaked out, whatever. And so I called my friend, like, dude, you know this is for $5,000, right? Yeah, take care of your family, and he hangs up. That's it. We've never talked about it since. But it's one of those things where God, now I know better that God provides, right? Because I have had an experience with God. Knowledge fills the rooms with rare and hidden treasure. You cannot know God if you don't obey God. It's impossible. You might know about him. You might know of him. You might see other people who know him, but you will not know God if you don't obey God. So when God's talking about having eternal life, if you're not obeying him, you don't have eternal life because you can't know him. It's impossible. And it's not about your works. It's about knowing someone. You can't know him unless you obey him. But don't take my word for it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a scary verse. This is serious in the church. Because you don't think these are church people? I mean, why would somebody prophesy in the name of Jesus unless they were in the church? Why would somebody be able to cast out demons unless they were in the church? Why would somebody be able to perform miracles unless they were in the church? Yet, think about this. I don't know you. He said to him plainly, I like that wording, plainly. Like, sure, there was no, like, mincing words, right? There was no tact used there. I don't know you. Because why? Because they didn't do the will of the Father. Like, you can do awesome things for God and still not know God. How many of you guys know that today? You could be doing awesome things in your life for God and not know who God is. Because knowing God is obeying him. And if you don't know what God's will is, you can't obey it. Right? So you may think you know what God's will is because somebody told you or you read somewhere or this is the habit or the pattern that you learned growing up. But until you know what God is saying and you're obeying what God is saying, you're not doing God's will. And we have a, God has a collective will for the church, right? The Great Commission. But he also has individual purpose and plan for each one of us, which we're going to look at in just a second. So last week, Seth taught about a citizen's attitude. And according to Romans 837, we are more than conquerors. That's an exciting thing. Like, we're, we're not just conquerors, but we're more. And the reason we know this is because in 828, Paul writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, there's a qualifier there, and I underlined it. God works for the good of those who what? It's okay, talk. What? Love him. And Jesus says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will Keep my command. So you can't say you love God and not obey God. That's impossible. God's got the sixth love language. You know, there's five, but God has the sixth, and it's called obedience, right? God's love language is obedience. You don't show God you love him by acts of service. You don't show you love him by a physical touch. You don't show you love God by giving him gifts, right, or quality time, right? Those are all part of it, but it's all through obedience that that happens. God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me by obeying me. And for those people, those people who love him, God will work out all the things for the good who have been called according to his purpose. And his purpose is simple. Glorify me. Glorify me. You were created for this purpose. If you love me, obey me, and you will glorify me. And so it says, I wrote it like this. God's purpose for our life is his glory. God's will is for us is loving obedience. God is glorified in us when out of our love for him, it compels us to obedience. Let me read it again without stuttering. God's purpose for our life is his glory. God's will for us is loving obedience. And God is glorified in us when our love for him compels us to obedience. It, it all goes back to that because God is God and we are not. And we have a hard time with that. We're okay, some of us are okay with God 99%. Just that 1% we want to hold back. Adam and Eve struggled with this too, so we're not unique in that. But at some point in everybody's life, temptation comes knocking. And 1 John 2, 16 says, temptation looks like this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Every temptation we have comes from one of these three areas, and it's not from God, right? And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you except which, that which is common. You think you're struggling in a unique way? 
Hey, guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. Your temptation is just like everybody else in this room. You just don't talk about it. I guarantee you, I've heard a lot of those stories. And it's funny how each one sounds the same. But yet, everybody doesn't talk about it. Satan gets a win, right? Because our purpose is to glorify God. And he's glorified more in our weakness than in our strength. But we're about self-glorification. So I don't have any problems. I don't have any problems. I'm good. How's your, I'm doing great. My mom just died. I'm struggling with this addiction to uh, pain medication. I'm struggling with this or that. But I can't talk about that because I would look bad. Well, who cares if you look bad if God looks good? Who cares if you look bad if God looks good? Because you know what? Looking good never got anybody anywhere. But in our weakness, God is glorified even more because God's glory is important to him. And God loves you enough that even if everybody else rejects you, he's going to accept you because you love him. And he's going to work even that terrible thing in your life out for good, for the purpose he's called you to. And God is so good that he says this, and God, going still in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Like, God's not going to let you be overwhelmed. We feel that way, but we don't have to give in to temptation when we are in Christ Jesus. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives in you and me. Amen? That's a big deal if we actually believed it. Right, Because God says, you need to glorify me, and you can't do it on your own, so I'm going to do it for you. You just got to get out of my way. So let's look at this. This is at the core of the gospel. So I'm about to wrap up. The very purpose for which Jesus came was to restore humanity back to the place where we could once again fulfill our intended purpose in glorifying God. See, when we made that decision to say no to God, even though God is God, we immediately had separation from God. And no longer can we fulfill the purpose that God has for us because we no longer bear the image of God because we are stained. We are no longer perfect, holy, and innocent representation of God. And that's a big deal because that means you will never be at peace in your life, you will never find fulfillment in your life. You will never serve the purpose for which you were created in life until you come to the cross. So I'm going to finish with Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. It says this, as for you, that's all of us, you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the year. And the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient and all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of our flesh and following desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, but not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, important. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you have believed in the power that raised Jesus from the 
grave, when you confess the name of Christ, when you repent, when you have that change of mind and you see Jesus as both Lord and Savior, and when you enter into those waters, you surrender, you die. That part of you that was separated from God dies and you're raised into the newness of life, a new creation sealed with the Holy Spirit and forgiven for past, present, and future sin. And from then on, now you're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. There's this recreation that happens in those waters. So now you are back to a place where you can fulfill God's intended purpose for you, which is his glorification. So how do we glorify God? Through active participation in the gospel. Do you know God today? Remember Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Knowing him is a requirement to having eternal life. But more importantly, if you don't know God, you won't glorify him. And if you don't glorify him, you won't be living out your intended purpose. And when you don't live out your intended purpose, you'll never be at peace. You'll always be feeling like something's missing. Do you need peace today? Have you really committed your life to God's purpose in creating you? Or are you struggling to glorify God through obedience? Sin's hard. Is there somewhere in your life where sin's getting the best of you? Whatever your next step is, don't leave here today without help. Whether that's you coming forward and asking for prayer, whether that's you asking somebody you trust, whether that's you walking around out there and making, we all could do a better job of fulfilling our purpose. This isn't something that's meant to shame us It's something that's meant to free us because when we're fulfilling the purpose that God has given us, we are free.